And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. And um, you said that in a very, um, what's the word, mellifluous tone today, Nick. I liked that introduction. So, yeah. Hello. You are using five dollar. I'm sorry, five pound words, and uh, I'm not. I don't know what that word means. We'll get back to that because uh, I got to finish, or I'm going to get broken. Uh, of course, I'm Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, joined by my good friend, uh, the the musician from Leeds United, Leeds UK, working on a lack of sleep, and apparently I am too. How are we doing? Rock and roll. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we had our show last night. That all went great. So that was cool. Um, yeah, a bit of a lack of sleep. Uh, but anyway, it's a long story. But um, yes, so um, doing all right. And mellifluous means um, c- kind of a melodic, sort of um, pleasant, a pleasant and flowing melodious tone. Ah, that you see, this is my NPR voice. In the uh-huh. United States, our the closest com- comparison to the BBC World Service would be National Public Radio, and they all right. talk like this. Okay, right, right. Well, there you go. Yeah, you know, it worked. I like it. So how are you doing yourself, Nick? I am spectacular. I'm not going to discuss any personal business in order to not jinx it, knocking on wood. It's It's the first week where we haven't had to spend 15 hours doing manual labor on a house, so... I have been That's using good. that time to upgrade the the room I am sitting in. I don't know if you can see the posters next to me. I obviously yeah, only looking, Duncan um, can. It's looking very, uh, very nicely kitted out. Very, um, yeah. You've got lots of pictures up. You've got some cool posters, um, some ambient lighting. So, or maybe no. it's just the window. Ah, oh, you've got a. I see. You have a, a hanging, a, a window hanging thing that the the light is shining through, which is red. So you've got the the ambiance of that from the natural light outside. What that is is since the Glacier Musical podcast, my other one that I do with Keefe that we discussed last week, because that is also video. That is actually a Glacier Musical podcast logo and flag on a flag. There you go. Right, I like it. Awesomely, I awesomely like it. Awesomely, awesomely awesome. And then I'm happy to say I went to I saw a show for the first time in a long time. That was for me Uh, this this past Friday night. The wife and I took in 20 watt tombstone at the sinkhole in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, cool. They're great. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. great. Like the dirty, bluesy, slight guitar, hard, rocky thing. Yeah. The whole time I'm trying to convince the wife to go because she's not into metal by any stretch. She's kind of not metal, though, is it? Right, but she when I when I when she hears me say I'm going to a tiny little club show, in her brain it becomes oh you're going to see death metal. It's going to be exactly. So yeah. I was trying to convince her all week that she should go with me, and I finally figured out exactly what I needed to say to her to get her to want to go, and that is these guys will remind you a lot of Left Lane Cruiser. Then the next right. thing I said was the the album I just bought from them five minutes ago has Left Lane Cruiser on it too. Actually, and yeah. so if you if you extrapolate there, you can tell I had already convinced her to go <laughs> because I, uh, you know, one of the things I always say and is when you go to a show, make sure you get something, buy something from a touring band because they need it. And I bought an album, and I bought a T-shirt. So nice. Do practice in what I preach, and I'm going to go to another show in a couple of weeks when my wife is out of town. So, all right, all right. Well, that's, that's how I'm good. doing. 
Excellent. No, it sounds brilliant. So what are we talking about today, Nick? Well, we are continuing the Department of Metal Antiquities longstanding love affair with Glenn Hughes. Previous podcast subject, Glenn Hughes. This is, I believe, the fourth Glenn Hughes record we have done because we did. I'm surprised it's only four, but yeah. Considering how many millions of things he has done and how big his discography has got to be. We did uh, the first Trapeze record. Yep. And actually, I recently picked up the second Trapeze record. Uh, I don't nice. have the first one, but I got the second one. I got it for five bucks. I mean, which is uh, three, three pound fifty. And mm-hmm. we did uh, Black Sabbath, Seventh Star, which I already had on vinyl. That was actually a holdover from the the Instagram lives we used to do. We mm-hmm. did um, Deep Purple, Come Taste of the Band. We did, yeah. Which I rated as a Bennett. And then six months later, I bought it on vinyl for $20. Right. So you which did just, not it. You unbinned it. Yeah, I, I, I retroactively spun it. There you so, go. So, yeah. It, and then we also did um, the depth sessions, didn't we? Sorry, I just Oh, my up. God. We did do the depth sessions. Is that five or is that, that four? Is five. This is, this is episode Glenn Hughes, episode number five, which puts him up there with, uh, with like Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi. And speaking of Ozzy Osbourne, we'll discuss that. We're going to get back to Ozzy Osbourne in just a little bit. So, okay, well, yes, we will. I um, I do thorough research on thorough. Yeah, we don't say thorough. We say thorough. Thorough. Yeah, that sounds like something they would say out in the backwoods of Missouri. We do it very thorough. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, you can say I live in St. Louis, Missouri, as everyone who's ever paid attention to this knows. And there's two ways to pronounce Missouri, and we consider them to be different parts of the state. So if you say Missouri, you don't live in Missouri. You don't live in my state. You live in the 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 outstate, the outback of Missouri. But so yes, we will discuss a little bit of a little Ozzy Osbourne here in a bit. So we're talking about California breed, which is the last, I believe, last group Glenn Hughes tried to start. This comes out of the ashes of Black Country Communion, which I am reasonably certain most people listening to this would have heard of it. But if you have not, of course, that is uh, Joe Bonamassa on lead guitar and vocals, Glenn Hughes on bass and lead vocals, Jason Bonham, son of John Bonham on drums, and then there was some other dude that played keyboards whose name I do not recall. It was, yeah, I can't remember either. Because he was not John Lord Raymond's Eric or James Leg or uh, Rick Wright. Sorry. Sorry. If you're not one of those guys, I don't know your name. And oh, I also know Rick Wakeman, but that's just because he wears capes. He does, yes. Which I envy so much. It's uh, it's actually a little fall now, a little, or as you would say in uh, over there, it, uh, we we have fallen into autumn, and it is awesome. <laughs> Yesterday our high was fifty nine Fahrenheit, which is about six Celsius, I believe. Oh wow, that's really cold. Is that no, no, that's not really cold. Well, your your weather is so much milder than like mine. We're, we're, we're yeah, we're well in summer. We don't get as hot as you, I think, but we're um. We're hanging around the sort of, I don't know, 15-ish, 14-ish um, Celsius mark at the moment. 15, 14. That's actually probably closer to where I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're probably about, yeah, okay. Yeah, because it's about 3 degrees Celsius to 1 Fahrenheit or 2.5. So 2.5 times 15 will be 30. Yeah, yeah, about 15. I apologize. I okay. did not. I did so not. I- 
yeah, so 15, much. which in, yeah. in October is lovely. And as I stare out the window at the Glacial Musical head, DMA headquarters, I'm staring at a tree. The leaves are changing. It's awesome. Did awesome a fire, it is awesomely autumn. And did a fire pit last night. Did uh, watch a little bit of TV on our big screen. Did some grilling. Wonderful fall stuff. Got a... And I got a couple of wonderful fall get-togethers coming up too. I am off track. So that's uh, good. Uh, so Black Country Communion breaks up. And it, do you know anything about this band, Duncan? Black Country Communion. Well, I know who was in it. I don't know. Okay. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot. Okay, it broke up for one reason and one reason only. It at the time it was the only thing Glenn Hughes was doing. Glenn Hughes is a one-project man. He does one thing at a time. And while he's doing that one thing, he wants to do that one thing into the ground and work hard. However, Joe Bonamassa is the mainstream buckethead, as it were, except he also sings. Joe Bonamassa at that time was putting out three to four records a year, touring as Joe Bonamassa, touring with Beth Hart. And Glenn Hughes is like, hey, we just put out Afterglow. When are we going to get after it and go start touring? And Joe's like, I don't know, man. I got three tours and two more records lined up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Glenn Hughes cannot stand that. So no hard feelings, I believe, especially since they reformed after after California Breed imploded, actually. They reformed, same same lineup, same three dudes. And we'll talk about uh, Jason Bonham actually leaving California Breed as well. So mm-hmm. California Breed is... it's. During his time in Los Angeles, he is introduced to a man named Andrew Watt. Are you familiar with that name at all? Only from the research that I did on California Breed. I believe he's a producer who's worked with a lot of different bands. Yep. And he is a producer and a guitar player. He is 32 years old. At the age of 29, he produced and performed on Ozzy Osbourne's Ordinary Man. Wait, he's not 32 years old now. He was 32 years old at the time in 2014. No, now. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was oh, talking- yeah, you're right, yeah. Wow, so he was super young. Mm-hmm. So he was like 22 or something when he did this. Right, with Glenn Hughes and Jason Bonham, who are... Uh, Glenn Hughes has always got that wonderful look of, if it's dark, you can't tell I'm so old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That that is, I would describe Glenn Hughes from 1990 forward as when it's dark, you can't tell him old. He hasn't aged since then, but it's, and he's got a giant head. <laughs> anyway, so yes, he he was 22 years old, and seven years later, he records Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, and then records Ozzy Osbourne again. He he produced the last two Ozzy Osbourne records, right? And there you played go. and played multiple instruments on both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, he is a performer and he has done and I, I looked up his um, I mean, his discography just to give you an idea. Here's some albums he's worked on. Uh, da, 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 da. Five Seconds of Summer, Cardi B, Post Malone, uh, Lana Del Rey, The Chainsmokers, Blink-182, mm-hmm. Ozzy, Five Seconds of Summer, Miley. He's got a Miley Cyrus record, Justin Bieber. Uh, Maroon 5, Eddie Vedder, Elton John. Yeah, it looks like he's done a lot of session guitar for people like Justin Bieber, etc. Yeah, and I don't know if this Iggy Pop, he did an he did an Iggy Pop record. 
Right. I mean, I don't know if I, I the the discography doesn't specifically describe whether or not he was a performer or a producer on them. I did mm-hmm. look in the Ozzy Osbourne albums and he did produce them. So mm-hmm. at the time, this kid is completely unknown, essentially. And he has gone on to have a pretty significant career for lack of a... He hasn't done anything in a minute, though. He hasn't done anything... Oh, no, I take that back. Yeah, no, he's still doing loads of stuff. I'm just looking now. Oh, he did the Rolling Stones um, recently. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. He did Angry on Hackney Diamonds. I mean... Maybe the whole album. It's just they haven't released the whole album yet, I think. Oh, good point. Yeah, he he may have produced that album. So... That's amazing. This kid has turned this this kind of forgotten. Excuse me. Uh, you go ahead and talk. Okay. Well, um, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Very impressive roster of artists he's worked with for uh, such a young guy. So yeah, um, Nick can tell us more about this, but apparently somehow Glenn Hughes comes across this guy in 2012, 13, something like that. He was introduced to this guy i i apologize i have uh, a tickle in my nose which actually woke me up before i wanted to get up so if i abruptly ask you to speak it's so i can blow my nose or not sneeze into the microphone and now that i have a nice microphone that sneeze and snot would come out in uh wonderful hd audio that nobody needs sounds but, good man. sounds great quite but yeah so so yeah. he's introduced to Watt in 2013, and there's no real good information past that. It's just that's just what happened. And he thought, okay, well, I know a drummer, Jason Bonham. And I mean, Jason Bonham is just an amazing drummer. And I feel like Jason Bonham kind of got the shaft over the course of his life because he, he is so much better than just being Jason Bonham or John Bonham's kid. And but the yeah, I mean, look, he's a great John. I would say he very much, I mean, consciously so, he sounds like John Bonham. He was most likely taught by his dad. He kind of has has taken up the mantle of his, of his dad's sound. But, you know, that, that's a great sound. Um, so that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, oh, comple- I completely but- agree. I just, I, I wish he would have had a better career, quite honestly. Yeah, and I know what you're saying. Yeah, Because yeah. He, he is so good. He is so humble. You know, yes, he definitely took up the the mantle. The biggest successes he's had personally are when he has played Led Zeppelin songs or stuff oh, like yeah. that. But he has performed with uh, with basically everybody, and he's recorded. Well, he with played with Led himself. Zeppelin when they performed in two thousand and six on the on the uh, Celebration Day concert. Yes, yes he did, and he was a, spe- uh, DVD and stuff. Yeah, spectacular. He was spectacular on that record. Oh, totally. He can definitely play like his dad, and most of the time he does play pretty much like his dad and he goes for that same sort of tone um yeah man that is correct so this album is recorded in uh between 2013 and 2014 at low country sound in nashville i would imagine there's probably quite a few uh studios in nashville i do know that yeah. uh dan Auerbach of the black keys keeps us keeps a studio there so that way he won't work there all the time Right. Well, um, yeah, I believe that the producer on this record, Dave Cobb, he I think he owns that studio. Um, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I think I think I might be right about uh, he Interesting. He's uh, he's best known for Chris Stapleton, Brandy Carlisle, John Prine, Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell, the High Women and Rival Sons. So a lot of country 
yeah. not surprising considering where he has set up shop. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, he does. He does run Low Country Sound Studio where this was recorded. So there you go. The album was released on Frontiers SRL, which is a largely a metal label. So it definitely fits into the metal antiquities. And we also got, of course, the blacks, the requisite Black Sabbath connection, because if you don't have that, is it even metal? Indeed, indeed. It was released on CD. The let's talk about the cover a little well, bit. Well, I've got the CD. I got it cheap, and um, yeah, it's well the cover. I mean, what is it? I think when you, I've actually owned literally just this minute realized that when you turn it on its side, it's a woman's face. The woman's it's, face. Yeah. Um. So you've got hmm. the lips, and the nose, and then you've got that big black splodge. I think is the eye. You have to turn it sideways to sort of see this upright. And then this hair. So it looks like um, a sort of past. I can't tell if it's pastel or paint, but it's uh, quite brightly colored. Lots of yellows and reds and some black in there, some white. Um, I don't know what it's trying to say, but it seems to be a woman's face on its side with um, sort of a big black tear falling from her eye over her face. So there you go. I think they're just trying to show a tropical sunny scene of someone's face. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it does look kind of tropical and sunny, which I guess fits the uh, the California name. And just for the record, California Breed sounds like the dumbest name I've ever heard. I mean, what does that yeah. even mean? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it should be a type of cow or something. It sounds like cheese. California bread yeah. cheese. Can you breed cheese? You can breed cows that make the cheese. It's true, yeah. California yeah. bred cows make there California a Californian cheese. rabbit, but I don't think they call that the California breed as such. A Californian rabbit, okay. It's a Californian spangled cat. What the California? I don't know. All right. Well, I guess let's just go ahead and get into the track by track, unless you got anything else for me. No, only that apparently in 2019, a 5,000 year old guard dog was resurrected by a breeder from California. I don't know what that's about. I was they taking know. a sip. I mean, come on. That's what that's what happens when you Google uh, California breeds. Animal. I don't. I don't and, think um... it's. I don't think it's fair for you to bring up necromancy <laughs> while I'm taking. What was that? A rabbit or was it a cat? Oh, a very large dog. This one. Oh, I do not believe you can bring up canine necromancy while I'm taking a sip. I mean, you've <laughs> got to give me a signal. We're on. We're, I can see you. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta warn me on that. <laughs> absolutely yeah 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 oh or, i, I well, did sorry about say that. i also have this on cd or had it on cd i'm not sure if i sold it but it is in my itunes still i bought it way back when at the time i was still trying to find you know new acts new stuff it, the glacial musical brand had not gotten very big at that point and i mean so i was still actively so it actively searching it hadn't gotten to the point yet where i had stopped actively searching for music because the people making the music sought me out but so yeah i bought it i i only listened to it a handful of times and I'm pretty sure i listened to it once literally so but it's also at, at that time what i and that's part of why i switched to vinyl talk to the kid about that today whom i have to mention my daughter i'm mentioning my kid now she insists i mention her in every podcast i record so, all right uh, at that time, when I would buy a CD, it would live in my car for two weeks, and then it would get ripped into iTunes, and then it would go in a box. 
Right. Yeah. Which is why I stopped buying CDs because there is no point in that in my brain. So I go, what I do now is I buy vinyl and it goes onto the shelf and eventually it gets spun sometimes. Exactly. But, um, all right. All right. Well, um, yeah, just very quickly, this got to number 26 on the UK album chart, 93 on the Dutch album chart, number one on the UK rock album chart. I'm sorry, 93 it. on the Dutch chart. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I uh, who knows? Who knows? How many? I mean, how many albums are being sold in in the Netherlands? Who knows? Who knows? Okay, number one rock UK rock albums. That's really good. Going to point out, absolutely nothing happened in uh, in America chart wise. No, exactly, exactly. But. Uh... I think that is it, and like to say in the DVD Mandal- version of this. Oh no, CD slash DVD bonus. Yeah, right. mine mine had a DVD in it. I never watched it. I, I never watched those things. When you put a DVD in, yeah, CD, they're usually terrible. Yeah, I know. It's I my copy of Judas Priest, um, the reunion record, which name I don't remember, the title I can't recall. It okay. one side is CD and it flips over and it's DVD on the other side, and because of that, the DVD is all scratched up anyway, so I can't watch the damn thing. Uh, but yeah, typically if you put a DVD in with a CD, that DVD is pointless or you would have sold it by itself. There you go. There you but, go. Um, as they would say in The Mandalorian, this is the way. Yeah, well, that's track one. So very Led Zeppelin-esque right from the off. So it starts with this steady Zeppelin-y stomp. You've got Jason Bonham's drums essentially sounding rather like his dad's drums. Um You've got this format, which is very reminiscent of Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. You've got a big, bluesy, hard rock, heavy riff, and then a break for some screamy, bluesy vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to party tonight. Everybody's here. Something like that. I mean, probably slightly better words than that. Um, But, you know... um, it's probably not as good as Black Dog. It's definitely not as good as Black Dog, but it's very much in that style. It's pretty good. Um, I think the production's really nice. It's heavy. It's big. It's powerful, but it's also very natural sounding, uh, not overly uh, sort of uh, uh, clinical or, or quantized or anything like that. You know, you can hear the sound of the room around the drums and all that sort of stuff. Um, you got some soulful vocals for a breakdown and then just loads more Zeppelin worship, riffs and screams. The thing is, I think this is a good song. It It's quite an impactful opener, but, and maybe this might become a running theme. I, I just think the chorus isn't that strong and the riffs, honestly, although they're Led Zeppelin-esque, they're not anywhere near as memorable as those classic Led Zeppelin riffs. Um yeah, I think I feel like Glenn Hughes has a habit sometimes of writing his chorus melodies in a way that just sounds as though they're improvised blues jam vocals, you know? Um, and there's quite a lot of that going on for me here. But but it's not a bad song. It's a pretty good song. Great production, great energy as well. Um, yeah, that's what I made of that one. One of the great things about Glenn Hughes is he either... I mean, he either hits it or he either misses it. There's no, there's absolutely no, no, no in between really for him. I, I would say this one is is a good, good hit. It, it is everything you said. It's complete Led Zeppelin worship. It is like Deep Purple meets Led Zeppelin because you've got 
replacement members of both bands. I consider Jason Bonham to be a member of Led Zeppelin. He was on a record. It counts. And good solo, but are the riffs memorable? No. Is there a solo? I didn't even know there was a solo. I'm pretty sure there's a solo. Solo and everything. And none of it, I mean, none of it really stuck out. Like, oh my God, listen to this. It was, but, you know, the problem with this record, there's two problems. One, I, I agree with what you said. Glenn Hughes writes this chorus melody and then he's got to fight it, you know, cornhole everything in there. And then you've got a 22-year-old kid playing guitar. And you name me one 22-year-old guitar player that came out of nowhere to play with an established star who did something amazing, not named Vivian Campbell. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably can't. Um, I mean, I think his guitar playing is great, but... Yes. Um, I don't know who wrote the riffs. I don't know whether whether Glenn Hughes wrote the riffs. In fact, that's a good point. Yeah, all tracks written by all three of them. So yeah. I'm guessing Alan, uh, Andrew Watt did write probably a lot of the guitar I, riffs. I will say, I think drummers, and I, this is going to be the one time I, I speak up and speak up for the drummers in the world because they scare me. But I, I think drummers get screwed because they don't get songwriting credits. I mean, who's writing the drum beats? Well, it's this difficult question um, of like what, actually makes the song the song like you know you change the drum beat it's still the same like you take a beatles song change the drums it's still clearly the same song you change the chords change the melodies change the words that's not the same song so i get it but yes i i also i totally take your point and i think there's a fine line between like something like well to go back to led zeppelin when the levy breaks like clearly those drums at the start are iconic they're part of the track you know he should have a, a credit on that. I don't know if he does or not, actually. Um, I believe most tracks for Led Zeppelin were credited to the to the band. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of page plant, you know, but I, I, could I, be wrong. I could be wrong, too. But I actually I completely agree. Those drums are that song. You could change the solo. You could change the chords. And those drums are still that song. And I wish he had never done those drums because we've had 50 years of people trying to chase that sound ever since then. And nobody's gotten it. But as I am an American, I question my Americanness because I do not drink sweet tea. All right. Well, sweet tea. So this has a faster, but still kind of laid back, heavy groove riff. Um, this for me is pretty good. It's more memorable than the last track's riffs, I think. More bluesy vocals, a bit screamy. The chorus goes a bit poppy, but not in a bad way. It starts to remind me a bit of Queens of the Stone Age running theme as well. But anyway, you've got these high kind of ooh, ooh, backing vocals. It's nice and catchy, and it really works, actually, for me. Some nice talk box guitar. Um, I thought this was the first guitar solo. Maybe I missed the one in the first track. I don't know. I didn't think I, there was one. You know what? I might have made that up, trying to sound cool. <laughs> okay, who knows? But... Well, I put first guitar solo, nice and blues, rocky, nothing unexpected, but it's good. You know, this this is it's fairly standard in a way, but it's done with a, with an energy and fire that that makes it work. Um, yeah, I think it's a better song than the first one. It's a pretty successful mix of classic bluesy hard rock and kind of alternative grunginess, basically. So, like, yeah, I liked it. This track was the the first single, and there was a video for performance video. I mean, it's it's the it's the twenty tens. Nobody's spending one hundred and fifty grand on a video anymore. And I remember listening to this, going, "Wow, this is really good." Except the lyrics are crap. Yeah, I didn't 
spend a lot of time on the lyrics, but I, the bits that I did catch seemed pretty standard, trite nonsense. You know? It's the kind of lyrics that uh, routinely pop up on this show where they're singing something just to be singing them. And if I wasn't clear, which I probably wasn't, sweet tea does not refer to the beverage. Apparently, Glenn Hughes has been uh, overrun by America. Americana has taken over Glenn Hughes and his tea. So he's describing a gorgeous woman as being refreshing like sweet tea. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, it's all the classic stuff, yeah. Oh, my mug of little sweet tea, take me to your cherry tree. Just going to point out, Glenn, you don't drink sweet tea out of a mug. Well, there you go. You drink sweet tea out of a glass. Okay. Shake the bones inside of me. Oh, good God. Stop it. Stop it. No, they're not. This is the thing. It's like, I mean, I don't particularly rate Robert Plant's lyrics either, I have to say, but it's like. After the second record. Three onward are pretty no, good. No, I'm still not a big fan. I mean, the, I think Robert Plant's lyrics are best when you realize they're not actually Robert Plant's and they're just ripped off a blues song, which is low. I think his lyrics are best when he's like trying to turn references about Mordor into a blues tune. Looking oh, at no, you. that, that looking that, at you ramble on. That's the absolute unforgivable stuff. Yeah, like where Gollum, Gollum steals his woman and then. You know, Gimli goes, let's groove out with Gimli and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know, man. I can see Gimli getting shake down it, and having down, a party. Shake it, shake it. No. No, no. no <laughs> don't, don't. Please don't. Ah, please um, do. Please do. That's better than this. I, I don't know. I don't know if that is. Ooh, but this wow. Is, but wow. this is de- definitely, if we take Robert Plant's more sort of bluesy lyrics, um, these are like a worst version of that these are trying this this is the american version of the english version of american blues there you go which i mean that's bad you should have just stolen the blues lyrics robert plant didn't look work that way it seemed to work out yeah Yeah. (sighs) so yeah okay well yeah there we are Mm, trying to think of a pun for this one and i'm this is rough yeah, uh, well, it's till I just say what it's called. Yeah, go ahead. Chemical rain. Um, so if you've got a pun, put it in the comments because I don't. There you go. No, I I'll, don't. And if you do, what I'll do is I'll go back and edit this and re-upload it. So, all right. So this has a nice riff, really nice opening riff. Um, slightly off kilter, um, modal thing, very much like Led Zeppelin's Dancing Days. But I think I'm just gonna pause there because. This is what I started to realize. There's a lot of derivative stuff on this record where you can sometimes pinpoint not only the band, but the track that they seem to be borrowing from. It's like listening to to Poison's greatest hits and me being able to go, oh, that's Deuce. Oh, that's rock and roll all night. Just tell you exactly what Kiss riff they stole it from. Right. There you go. So, yeah, the tone and the riff, the, the actual composition of the riff itself is very much like Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin. Um, but, you know, it's very nice and it's very well executed. But then it all starts to go wrong. Um, just in general, uh, it goes rock ballady and it doesn't work for me. It's cheesy. It's that awful kind of 80s throwback rock ballad that's like it seems to exclusively be done by 
I don't know, guy, guys who were somewhat big in the 70s or maybe the early 80s, um, and they the, just can't let go of the big 80s rock ballads. Um, and you yeah, know, look, there's some of those that are really good, but you've, I mean, man, you, you've really got to do it incredibly well or ironically or something to make it work now. How do you do uh, it ironically? Well, I'm sure, you know, Tenacious D or something like that. You know what I mean? That okay, so you thing. have to be making like, fun of it in order yeah, to do it. Probably, probably. So, well, so I guess my question is, if this is something you have to make fun of in order to do it, should it even be done? Well, exactly, exactly. Then it goes for the chorus to, to, to a kind of psychedelic, there you go, I got the word in there, psychedelic alt-rock with some Mellotron in there. I think there is a keyboard player who guests on this album, so I think it is actually Well, they, they wanted to do a, tr a power trio like cream specific yeah but then they just said yeah we'll still get some guest keyboards on not many to be fair it's probably it's but probably andrew watt tell you the truth maybe no it isn't there's another guy's list if you no. look on mike webb i apologize i apologize mike webb i am sorry that i peed all over your big moment exactly that's all right well some bits of this are great but somehow it's just unconvincing it feels like they're trying to do too many things. They're trying to go for the Led Zeppelin sound and they do that kind of well, but it's just, it's still derivative. Then they're going, right, well, let's go for the big rock ballad thing. And it's like, oh, that's always going to sound awful. Then they go, let's go a bit alt rock, a bit kind of sound garden. And it, it doesn't quite work. They're just not, they're not the right guys to be doing that. Glenn Hughes trying to do sound garden just isn't going to be convincing. I don't think. And also, there's something about Hughes' voice. Look, he's great on all of this. It, technically, he's absolutely flawless throughout this whole record. But sometimes I find that he can be a bit too chameleon-like. He, he jumps around from the soulful stuff to the screams, and they're all so precise and so well executed that it almost feels like his voice lacks a bit of personality, lacks the human touch somehow. He, he could have easily been like a, a cruise vocalist. Yeah. Just, yeah. just on the sea 40 weeks a year singing and you know doing eight sets a night of yeah eight different kinds of bands yeah true yeah but you know when that riff comes back in it's great even though it's a bit of a led zeppelin ripoff um so it's not terrible but it this is the first time i'm going i don't think this is really working that well i can com completely understand i mean this is you know one of my my trademarks is the soft underbelly of a record. And the reason why I say soft underbelly, because that is the thing that, you know, armored animals try to keep hidden from everyone. And so what you do is you you put that stuff away, you hide it so where you don't notice it too much. And there are very few records in my brain, in my opinion, that are a 10 of 10 all the way through. I don't even consider it to be, I don't even consider Dark Side of the Moon to be a 10 of 10 all the way through. Great Gig in the Sky is a C plus to me. I know, Ooh. I know, it's blasphemies. I know, I've heard a lot about that. Heard a lot. But of course, but, the Roger Waters version, that's just definitive gold for you. I did not buy it. It came out on Friday. I did not buy it. I have decided I am going to wait until I can get it for 20 bucks. Right, I, I listened to one track from it just on my phone. I was not impressed. I have to. Did say. you get but, through like, a sorry, whole track? Yeah, I did not. I have not been able to go through a whole track yet. 
Right. Maybe we should do that on this. Oh, God. Oh, God. Why do you hate me? Uh, okay. So moving back to Chemical Rain, you know what? It, it's unfortunate that, you know, one, this album is 13 songs. Ask yourself, do we need 13 songs? It's 52 minutes. 52 minutes is a bad length for a record. But you know what? We're going to, whatever it is, they're going to keep working hard. We're going to keep going through this record. And like Duncan, we're burning the midnight oil. Okay, so yes, Midnight Oil is track four. This starts with a drum intro. It's a steady to fast groove. Then this choppy blues rock riff comes in. It's pretty good, but it's, again, nothing new. It's a very standard riff. Um, you know, blues rock riff uh, number 38 from the catalogue, bang, preset. Um, Flanger on the guitar and effective vocals for this um, for the verse. Again, it's fairly standard stuff. It is delivered with great energy, but eh, don't know if the material's really up to standard here. The chorus is pretty cheesy. Female backing vocals, nothing wrong with that at all, but it, yeah. Just only because, out. only because it's not a gospel choir. Yeah, it nearly is. It's, that's, it's bordering into that sort of style, actually. But it's just standard, slightly trite, bluesy hard rock with nothing particularly standing out. There's a solo. It's fine. You know, it's a good solo, but it's nothing great. It's nothing particularly individual or idiosyncratic. Then there's more soloing over a vampy jam version of the chorus. And, you know, like, this is what I've written. I've written, it's all fine and has great energy, but... And then I just stopped writing because I just think I, I ran out of things to say about it. It just felt all a bit empty and uninteresting and unremarkable so i you know i don't know maybe you love this album and this track but this is where it's starting to go downhill for me here's where i want to jump on you and punch you in the face and say you're wrong okay i'm not gonna gonna. (laughs) i want to but for me to for me to do that i gotta have a reason and the soft underbelly on this record is a lot like you know, it's an A-tier group of people. You know, these are A-plus musicians. And I don't think Glenn Hughes really gets the credit he deserves as a bass player. And I would honestly say that Tony Iommi did the record a disservice by not letting Glenn Hughes play on the record. It wasn't, he didn't. And as a vocalist, he is probably one of the top five vocalists from the 70s and if you're going to talk about vocalists from the 70s and 80s that never really had their own thing because that's what glenn hughes is glenn hughes is a uh do you have chiggers over there you know what a chigger is mm, on the type of bug yeah so it's a bug that basically just latches onto whatever's moving and right. that's glenn hughes as as an artist do you know how I know that, by the way? That's from, um, there's a C6 Steve song of that name. And he talks, I think before the song on the album, he explains it and he's like, y'all, there's these things called chiggers. <laughs> he doesn't sound like that. Sorry, that's my terrible Southern uh, American accent. Um, you anyway, know, there's eight different there. Southern accents, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. All right. You want to do Georgia or y'all want to do Texas? It's all different. Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. But you have to be American to know. It's like being, it's like, you know, where you live. As you like to say, you drive 10 minutes, the accents change. 
Well, well yeah, it's we... like when you watch The Simpsons and they do an English accent and it's like, what is this? Because it's a combination. The, the, some of the words are from Scotland. Some of them are from probably Ireland. Some of them are from Yorkshire. Some of them are from London. Yorkshire? Like, yeah, well, that's where yeah. the spirit of jazz is from. You see, I, you see, I'm from Yorkshire, but I don't particularly sound that Yorkshire. So it's all the, it's all a strange thing. But yeah, and like, like um, the what's he called, groundskeeper Willie in The Simpsons, like his Scottish accent is insane. That's nobody sounds like that. But to uh, someone from America, that probably sounds like exactly what a Scottish accent is. You know? No, it does not. Okay, okay, all right. But all right. I, I also should say I'm a linguist, so I mean that's like my jam. We. When I was on vacation this year, we you ever heard of the game Heads Up? Mm, it's an no iPhone thanks. game. Basically, okay. you get a clue, you put it on your head. If you get it right, you turn it down. If you get it, okay. so we're playing Heads Up in a hotel lobby, and all the adults that are there have have had a couple, and the kids are uh, obviously hadn't because we're responsible. And one of the things is, uh, um accents one of the categories is accent and my friend my, my wife's friend's eldest daughter says i've never been able to get a single one of these right okay and i go no play that one and we got 10 out of 10 because i was right. the one giving the clues so okay. to give you an idea of how i can do accents there, there's a great there you example. Go. yeah but yeah. i also speak multiple languages too there you go. There and you I'm go. sensitive to the different Spanish accents because I know them. I know many of them. And I digress. Midnight Oil. Are we still there? Yeah, we were, we were talking about Glenn Hughes and the concept of, of the, the chigger bug and how oh, that, yeah. Yeah, he's he, like he, that. Yeah, he's like that. He, he is an amazing vocalist that never really got famous on his own. He got famous jumping on to already successful vehicles. Yeah. And why is that why is somebody what are you lacking that's well, the question it, i would ask what do you lack if you can't get famous on your own but you're good enough to jump on to all these other already established acts yeah and i think there has to be something in the songwriting here you know like it or not and i think he's even bingo said yeah, he's even said himself that he had a problem where he was just playing on everything like through the eighties and nineties. And he said, look, yeah, to be honest, I lost my quality control. I would play bass on anything. I would sing on anything, but actually this wasn't really strong material. And I'm not sure whether him writing on his own or as, or as the kind of main, like he's the most notable person on this record. Yeah. Probably all of these songwriting ideas are from him. He's writing all the lyrics, probably a lot of the riffs. Mm -hmm. And then they're just not, up there with the real classic stuff you know you've got Richie Blackmore writing riffs for Deep Purple um you know you've got Tony Iommi writing riffs for Black Sabbath different level perhaps and you know trapeze nothing wrong with trapeze but you know what there's a reason why trapeze did not make it into the rock canon and why we didn't hear the name Glenn Hughes until Burn and that's i think what we're running into it's all fine yeah, this exactly. is, you know, for the most part, most of these songs are the most okayest songs I've heard all week. Totally, totally, I agree. Totally at, agree. At no point is this terrible. At no point is it all falls down. There you go. I was hoping that's how you were going to segue into this song, "All Falls Down." Well, 
Um, can't say I disagree with that um, description because I think this is around the point where the album does exactly that. Um, jangly, clean, processed electric guitar, arpeggios in a major key. It's the rock ballad. The rock ballad vocal comes in. It's cheese, man. It's just total cheese. Now, there are some nice bits, don't get me wrong. They do, in the kind of bridge section, there's a bit of a homage to Led Zeppelin's Rain song. But again, they're doing the same thing they've done before. They're taking something which is brilliant. and is they're that, doing... Excuse me, is that a bit of a homage or is that a bit of a fromage? Hey, I like it. I like it, man. Yeah, exactly. The borderline, the fine line between homage and fromage. Yes. That is now going into the lexicon of this podcast. Good. Yeah, we need to bring that one up again. Absolutely. Um, yes. So, yeah, the rain song bits are cool, but it's like, oh, it's almost a bit too rain songy and it feels a little bit um, conscious, a little bit self-consciously uh, ripping off rain song. And I'm like, I think it's going to kick in heavy now. Yeah, kicked in heavy now. And then it goes just into a cheesy, big, rocking, bloated rock ballad. Look, you know, it's good for what it is. But it's okay. These things are, I mean, I've said before what I think about rock ballads. You know, yes, they can work, but you've got to do them so well, especially now, you know. Um and basically, this isn't great. It's fine. It's okay. It's not my thing. The big cheesy rock ballad isn't for me. But even if it is for you, I don't think this is up there. This isn't going to be the next November rain, um, which I like, by the way. I know that's bloated and over the top and arguably cheesy. But it's but that... bloated and over the top in just the right way. Exactly. Um, so, no, for me, this it does all fall down. This is where I just... There's little to really make me like this. The rain song bits are fine, but I'll just listen to rain song. Thanks. You know why I jump in and interrupt you a lot? Because uh, you say all the good things. <laughs> I I, I want to have a rebuttal, uh, uh, an an addendum, but I got nothing because you. I mean, you said it all. As my buddy Keithy would say, no notes. You know, it's the problem with this record so far. We're ha we're not even halfway through yet. It, it, there's no colors. They're not coloring. It's just all the gray. Hey, well, that's track six. Um, again, it's gone Queens of the Stone Age. It's got a fast kind of stoppy starty riff. It's got that choppy, slightly angular Queens of the Stone Age groove. Um. It's not bad, but I feel like it's a bit unconvincing. It feels like they've just been listening to Queens of the Stone Age um, that week. And what's interesting is, guess who replaced John? Uh, sorry, Jason Bonham, which we didn't talk about, when he couldn't do the touring because he was too busy with other projects. It was I saw uh, who it was, but I don't remember. Go ahead, nail it. It was the guy whose name I've completely forgotten, but <laughs> I'll tell you as soon as I find this bit on Wikipedia. Joey Castillo, Castillo, Castillo. Who, who has been the drummer for Queens of the Stone Age and um, what do you call them? Um, oh. What are they? What, what's the other, that other one? Eagles of Death Metal. Eagles of Death Metal. Yes. So, like, they got the guy that had been in those bands. They obviously knew him already, and I just feel like they were going for this as a self-conscious thing. Like, oh wow, I've just heard Eagles of Death Metal, and it's like 
this kind of modern sound, but it's also really bluesy and cool and it's a bit grungy. And yeah, we can do a version of that. And yeah, it's like it's like pop, it's like pop rock clutch. Yeah, exactly. Totally is. And it's great. All that stuff's great. Um but this but, is a pop rock version of pop rock clutch. And the problem is it's just you've got someone like Glenn Hughes doing that. We know Glenn Hughes is brilliant at what he does, but there's a certain I don't know. There's a certain attitude that you you detect on something like Queens of the Stone Age, where it, it it's it's just a whole a slightly different mindset. You can't do pompous, overblown, bloated, earnest rock ballads next to a Queens of the Stone Age song and make them work together properly. Like that pompous, overblown rock ballad would have to be something different. It you know. Um, I'm not explaining myself that well, but there's a certain there's there's almost a no. Little... You you have explained it perfectly. Do not do not sell yourself short. This is a, an an unconvincing attempt at modern rock. Well, no, 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 it's not right. This is an unconvincing attempt at a modern rock take on what Glenn Hughes does. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yeah. So we're and through it... the looking glass on this one. Yeah, like you even look at the pictures of the band in the um CD. It's uh, not good. And it's like Glenn Hughes has got this strange um spiky hairdo. Uh-huh. And it feels a bit like he's trying to reinvent himself as a new cool uh-huh. kid. And he's got like these sunglasses that are like the size of my thighs. Yeah, it's like, look, you're Glenn Hughes. I mean, I don't mind the big sunglasses because that's got, you know, that's a that's, that's a, his brand. His thing, but it's like, why have you got that? strange hair and i don't know man it just feels like hey i'm not that glenn hughes i'm this new guy who's also called glenn hughes and has the same voice but is you know this totally up to the minute um you know modern guy who's doing something totally cutting edge and it's like no it's not it's just not going to be um just do the classic rock thing but do it really well the problem is they don't do that either that is a great description of this record yeah do what you do really well because you do it really well exactly and i'm just going to say as well this has a sound gardeny bit as well um and i and i think there's another bit later on where it's very sound garden and i think they've been listening to sound garden as well like hey there's this new band like this is 2014 there's this new band i've just discovered sound garden whoa like they sound a little bit led zeppelin-y but they're also kind of grungy and heavy and whoa bit punk um like basically glenn hughes can't be punk you just it's not going to work is it and it feels like they're trying to bring elements of music that um has a, a glenn sort of pop- hughes as a punk rocker just strikes me as the steve buscemi commercial where he walks up and he goes hello fellow kids and he's wearing but- a t-shirt that says rock band on it got and- it it's- exactly that it's exactly that and it's like Soundgarden yes they sound like Led Zeppelin but they're also kind of a punk band you know Nirvana were kind of a punk band if you're going to bring those influences in but you're Glenn Hughes and you're like very very unpunk very very big bloated classic rock and that that can be great but just do that Um, correct and the thing about Soundgarden Soundgarden to hook their influences, which were Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, you know, all these bands. And then they took the punk influence, mixed it all together, and came up with something new. I am sure half of Bad Motorfinger was stolen from somewhere. But Probably. 
they stole it in a way that I can't find it. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's it. This, when they steal the stuff, you can find it straight away. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that song, you know? Yep. And that's um, when you do that, you come across as, eh. And you know what? For the most part, so far, this record has been, eh. Yeah, I've written meh a lot on my notes here. So are we quoting The Simpsons again? I mean, probably, yeah. That is a Simpsons word. Meh came from The Simpsons. Okay, okay. Uh, with the kid, the kid and I have been uh, re-watching The Simpsons. Rewatching for me, watching for the first time for her. We're up to season 13. And Is that what to get bad? No, it gets bad around seven. <laughs> seven, right, okay. Was, yeah. We're still going. And the thing that cracks me up the most is the kid and the wife laugh harder now at the crazier bad episodes than they do the really good ones. But that's so on brand for my wife. She does not want anything real in her entertainment. Right. Yeah. Okay. She wants her entertainment to be lighthearted. And I get that. She has a rough job and a rough life outside of, well, and, and including, you know, being my my wife. <laughs> uh, but as it is, these days, they come. What? Is that the? Oh, yeah. They, they come. I'm with you. I was looking at the next track and thinking, what, what, what is, what's he saying? But yeah, days they come. That's the next track. Okay. Well, this surprisingly enough has a big Led Zeppelin-ish riff. It's got a steady to slow. What? Set. Exactly. Where did they get that idea from? But you know, Gosh. at least sort of on brand. Like they should probably try and do it a bit better. But but that's the sort of thing they should be doing. But then it goes kind of clean and dreamy, alt rockish for the verse, and it's a it's a bit all mixed with cheese rock again. Then they go Queens of the Stone Age in the bridge, and then back to that clean verse. And then they've got the chorus over that first riff. And you know what? There's there's some pretty decent, it's pretty decent, that chorus. And there's some great screams from Hughes. But overall, it's not working for me. It's just all a bit, it's either bog standard or it's just unnecessarily trying to be too modern. And um, and look, yeah, John, sorry, Jason, sorry, Bonham's drumming is absolutely fantastic. Let's just but call him B. B, all right. His drumming is... It, but overall, it just doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, I think you've uh, pretty much nailed this one. And I mean, my the only thoughts I would give on that are, boys, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Do you know? I You know, pick a lane. In, you, you're either classic rock, progressive, or modern. You can't... Th those are three things that don't go in a song together. Yeah. Pick yeah. a lane. Just pick a lane. Because if yeah. you don't pick a lane, what's going to happen is assholes on the internet that run podcasts like us are going to chew you up and spit you out. Well done. That's track eight. Spit you out. Well, it Thank starts you. off into the Stone Age again. Mm. Good. It's a fastish, groovy, swaggery, angular kind of riff thing. But then inexplicably, they go, you know what's going to work great here? We just go really earnestly into an Elton John style um, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting kind of rocked up sort of groovy thing. We just, we take the pianos out, we make it a little bit heavier with some riffs, but it's that kind of like, no, you can't do that next to the Have Queen's we ever done a Elton John reference before today? Uh, we must have done. We must have done. I don't but... think we have. 
remember. Well, I, you uh, know what? If we did, it's like today, and it's not a good thing. There you go. I feel like I might have compared some some Alice Cooper stuff to Elton John at one point. Oh, but... you know what? Elton John was probably on one of those records, one of those Alice Cooper records we did, just uncredited. No, John, by the way, those early albums are great, but um, just doesn't work here. Um, this to me is a mess of a song. It's trying to be modern, but just doesn't get there. And then inexplicably, they put something really sort of classic, poppy, poppy rock and rolly in there. No. Yeah, yeah. Duncan again picks it up, puts it down, and gives it a kick in the face. Um, you might think you're being brave when you're trying to do these things, when you're trying to take yourself, you know. And Glenn Hughes, we we you know we stomped a little on Glenn Hughes earlier today, but the man is legitimately and a legitly, he's actually a musical legend. For sure, man. Yeah, yeah. And I and both Duncan and myself are big fans of Mr. Hughes. Mm-hmm. But when you try to pigeonhole your unpigeonhole yourself and squeeze into a new genre that's not your genre, it's weak. It's not strong. There you go, track nine. Um so this starts with a fast acoustic guitar strumming riff. Then it kicks in with the drums and bass and they're doubling that riff on electric. Um, you know what? It's just standard. It's okay. Standard no, it's not. Blues. It sucks. Fine. This song sucks. It's like just your bog standard bluesy melodies over standard rock. Eh. There's actually there's one bit that I slightly like, which is there's some lead guitar harmonies that come in on the second or third verse. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that, yeah, it's quite a nice harmony there. But no, it's just getting... Very boring, very fast. Um, I'm speaking about the song and the album. Um, they say my soul is strong. Well, it may be, but the song is not. And that's exactly why I say this song sucks. We've had five or six songs in a row that don't stand out, that don't grab, that don't do anything special, that don't do anything that makes you think of this anything other than Oh, they stole this from here. Oh, they're trying to be this band. Oh, they like this genre. Give me and and this song. This song is awful. The the you know Eddie Van Halen once discussed changes in his songs. You can either make the accepted changes that everybody expects that you're you know you're you know you're strumming hard and then oh you go into a riff or oh you go into this breakdown. You know you you can take you know the easy right turns. But I like to fall off the edges of buildings. And they're trying to fall off the edges of buildings. That's the problem. You can't try to do that. You just have to do it naturally. So this acoustic-y business that starts off and it's like, okay. And I was like, oh, now we're rock. <sighs> not, not good. And... It's invisible. There you go. Track 10 is invisible. 10. We're on track 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got a bit of a sludgy build-up that goes into a very Black Sabbathy, bendy, slow, doom riff thing. And again, it's quite a good riff, but it does feel sort of forced. It's like, oh, 
we haven't referenced the fact that you were in Black Sabbath, Glenn. Maybe we'll just do a riff that really appeals to Sabbath fans. Like, okay, what does Tony Iommi do? Right, he does big bends. He probably down tunes a bit. Okay, right, just put a few of those things in and then we'll do a riff around that. It doesn't fit with the rest of the album, even though it's quite a good riff and and it does feel forced and self-conscious. Then they go, no, forget that. Not the Doom Sabbath thing. We're going to go psychedelic slash alt rock for the verse. And then it just gets completely lost for this pre-chorus. It's just kind of strange 80s rock that I can't even work out. Incomprehensible 80s rock. Then we go back to the Doom riff and it just, I didn't have anything else to say about it. It just continues on between those completely disparate styles and sections that none of which are that great. Eh, boring. Sorry, don't like it. I like the fact that you, excuse me. I like the fact that you pronounce disparate as disparate. I think you can pronounce it as that, or maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. I've it's, heard both. I've definitely I, heard. I assume it's British. I mean, you're you're very British, and I love that. It's like it's 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 disparate. I got disparate. He dead. Anyway, <laughs> uh, like it. Uh, you know what? What are we on? Invisible. Yeah. I had something really witty to say, and then I made the parrot joke, and now I don't remember what it was. Um, it, we're just at the point where I kind of want it to end. And, yeah. you know, we are now into the single single word titles portion of the record, and that is so much a Pearl Jam thing, a modern rock thing. And, I mean, I'm old, and I still think of Pearl Jam as modern rock. I still think 10 came out a couple of weeks ago. I still think the Metallica's Black album is their new one. Obviously, it's not. And I listened to their new one yesterday, which came out 30 years after that record. Yeah, but Last one, two, three, four, four songs are all single words and none of the others are. Five. Five, is it? Did you skip? So Does yours not have solo? No, solo is a bonus track. Oh, it's that. on mine. I got that. Uh well, yeah, but that's because you've got the DVD version, which is the, the special edition. Well, I am special on it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, moving on, this this album's cutting me. It's giving me scars. Well done. That is track whatever we're on now. Um, 11? Yes. 11. Groovy, bouncy, steady riff. It's all right. Bluesy vocals. It's a bit like Led Zeppelin combined with the Stones. Then it goes into this cheesy quasi-stone temple pilots thing for the bridge. We need that. Yeah, and then the chorus. Where's the bit that sounds more like Soundgarden? I think I've missed that. I think that was, anyway. It the bit matter. that sounds more like Soundgarden the last five songs. I think that was the other track and that also sounded like Soundgarden. Ignore me, right? Anyway, but this is, then it goes into a weird cheese, alt, rock, hard rock combination. Um, Whoa, that is a lot of adverbs. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a few, few, few good bits, but it's a mess of styles. None of them are done quite right. The guitar solo is quite nice. It's fine. Just stand, standard decent stuff. Then there's more soloing at the end, and then it just goes, and that's that. And nah, it's not doing it for me. Yeah, yeah. I I think you nailed it when you said, and, and this describes a lot of the last few songs that, Last set. This describes a lot of the last several songs we've been discussing. It's a mess of styles. Yeah. And look, I love progressive rock. 
I love just straight up prog. You give me a record that has one to three songs on it, and I will sit there and listen and analyze and weep when it's over. But when you don't know what you're doing, when you're just randomly throwing out styles, each track is a different style. Each track has four different styles. But one of the great things about Prague, and if you're going to do Prague, and I think it was an interview with Steve Howe where I read this, it's the trick is being able to change musical styles on a dime. Yeah. Do you say turn on a dime over there? How do, what do you say? Turn on a what? Yeah, we know. Um, I think we might say turn on a sixpence, but I don't think we say it very often. Um, okay, fair enough. Turning on a dime or stopping on a dime. That's that's the thing. Yeah, we say turn on a sixpence. There we go. I apologize. I got a... Yeah, for us, you know, stopping on a dime, which meaning your car is whatever. And they're not doing that. They're just whipping about and not it when they whip about it never sounds like it matters like they have a plan like they're doing anything it's just oh let's sound more contemporary let's put a little more highlights in my in our hair and do some frosted tips and you know what they should have done is they should have sat down looked at each other and taken a little bit of time to just breathe exactly that's the last track not a cover of pink floyd um would have been better if it was yeah i'll be interested to hear uh thingy roger waters's version of this track um for, on his dark side redux but anyway this has julian lennon on additional vocals john lennon's son um but you wouldn't necessarily know i'm pretty sure i did work out which bit was him I couldn't it's, figure any of that out. I mean, I saw it later. and It really, because Thingy's, um, Glenn Hughes' voice is quite chameleon-like anyway, like you could easily be forgiven for thinking it was Glenn Hughes. Um, but, but I think if you, if, you, if you know there's a different singer on there, you can go, oh, yeah, I think that's the other guy. But if and you he, have to know there's a different singer to hear it? Yeah, exactly. That's the point. What a point, yeah. Acoustic riff to start with, slowish tempo but high energy, bluesy vocals, kind of balladish, and then there's the Julian Lennon comes in in the bridge with some effective guitars underneath, um, and it kicks in with some big drums, and it's like I'm not sure what this is. It's kind of like M.O.R. late '80s cheese. I don't know. It's just all very, very average and unremarkable in spite of all that energy and all that, you know, absolutely on point screaming and all that stuff. So average. Um, chorus kicks in more, still acoustic guitars dominating. But the problem is, again, as there is, as is an issue on a few of the tracks here, the melody, inverted commas, is just, it just sounds like standard blues improvised screams, like, hey, baby, oh, yeah, oh, you know, I mean, obviously a bit better than that, but you know what I mean? It's not a proper melody. It's just like the first blues, um, the first blues jam uh, improvisations that come into your head when you're when you're Robert Plant going, oh yeah, in the middle of the extended version of Whole Lot of Love or something. Um, so yeah, no, and then it just ends and eh, that's it. This has all of the scat and jazz abilities of Howard Moon. 
Right. And yeah. There's right. no spirit of jazz here. There, there there's I want to say more nice things. Uh, Glenn Hughes performance, amazing. Production quality, spectacular. Oh yeah, agree. Everyone's performance, amazing. It's not brick walled. It's recorded well. It's mastered well. It's performed well. There is some serious virtuosity on display. The problem. Gonna quote the uh, the scorpions with missiles from Aqua Teen Hunger Force as they perform with Zach Wild. I just think it's the song sucks. Yeah, I think you're totally right, man. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Are we moving into the sum up? Yeah, I'm. I'm just kind of sum this up now. Let me just you know, cut off the banana here. You know, there's a lot to like, a lot to dislike, and a lot to forget. Which makes it 30 30 30. It's a kiss record. And a 30 30 30 record is not spin it. It's a bin it. Yeah. I mean, when I bought this, I listened to it once and I remember just thinking it wasn't that great, but I couldn't really remember why when I came to listen to it again. Now, this is probably five years ago or three. I don't know. A few years no, maybe only two or three years ago, actually. I don't know. But um, now I know why. When I first put it on today, I thought, okay. No, this is pretty good. And then it got to track two, and I'm like, yeah, okay, right. I hope they do more like this. Why haven't I listened to it more? But then I realized by track three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, it's like, yeah, that's why it's all over the place, doesn't know what it is, and the songwriting just isn't up to scratch for me. So sorry, it's a bin it. There's some great bits on it, but you don't you can find all of those sorts of great bits done even better elsewhere often by the same people people you know yeah that's the problem you can find better material by the same people in different projects exactly so exactly. what's the point why are we here yep i totally agree well that's that's all i've got well that is that duncan thank you for joining me as we do most every week and ever all the listeners thank you for joining us as you do every week we greatly appreciate your time. There is a lot. There are hundreds of millions of podcasts in the world. There are more podcasts than there are Glenn Hughes records. And the fact that you've taken some time to put ours on instead of trap Medusa by Trapeze is wonderfully humbling. And thank you know we thank you very much. If you could take eight seconds of your time and give us a star rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. That is how we grow. That is how we get bigger. That is how we get better. We're not asking you for money. We're not blasting you with ads. Just go ahead and give us a star review. With that, this is the Department of Metal Antiquities. I am Nick. Thank you, Duncan. We listened so you didn't have to. <laughs>